Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. It's alive. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our paths. Your word is truth. And I just pray that in the next few minutes, the words you've given me to share would become alive to people in this building and you would speak to their lives through the words you've given me. And Father, I just pray today we leave this place free and changed by the power of your word and the work of your spirit. We thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Dean, good to see you, man. I haven't seen you in two or three weeks. No condemnation or anything in that. It's just, you may have been sitting somewhere else. I'm glad you're here today. Okay, well, we'll talk about it after church, all right? Does anybody want to hear what Dean and I want to talk about right now, or would you just wait? Okay, we'll wait. Uh, today, I, I, want to, I want to talk about something that I think is really timely and important. This has been in my heart for several weeks, and to be honest, I've wrestled with it because to properly deal with this topic, it takes more than a Sunday. So I'm going to spend at least a couple of Sundays on this. I want to talk to you today about peace, God's peace, living in God's peace. There is so much confusion in our world today. There's so much fear. There's so much happening that people are afraid of. But yet in the middle of all of that, God has promised us his peace, his amazing supernatural peace. And before I even get into this today, maybe you're struggling with some fear in areas of your life. I want you to know, you know I'm a pastor. A pastor is a shepherd, and a shepherd looks over the sheep and watches out for the well-being of the sheep. What I'm going to share today, it's, it's not to embarrass anybody, it's certainly not to in, insult anyone, but I want to share God's word about fear and peace. Because in this world where there is so much fear, God has promised so much peace. And I want everybody who calls this church home, I want you to learn how to live in God's peace. So I'm going to identify some things today and then we'll finish up in this topic in, in the next couple of weeks or so. But everywhere you turn, there's fear. Jesus said in the last days, men's hearts will be failing them for fear in expectation of the things that are going to come upon the earth. In other words, people's hearts will be failing in fear, not because of what's happening, but because of what might happen. It's interesting. In other words, they're going to be fearing things that haven't even happened yet, but they think it might happen. And yet, as followers of Jesus, Scripture has made many promises to us about the supernatural peace of God. So much peace, even in a world where there's so much fear. Jesus in John 16, even said, when you're facing challenges and tribulation, he said, don't be afraid, be of good cheer because I've overcome those things. And I'll give you my victory. And you know, every follower of Jesus needs to understand that fear and peace are opposites. They can't coexist. One will overcome the other. And as believers, we need to learn how to reinforce and enforce the peace of God in our lives so that we can shove fear away. Otherwise, fear will dominate our lives. In the same manner, fear and faith are opposites. We're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. God wants us to learn how to live in faith that drives fear away and it just enforces God's peace in our lives. 
2 Timothy chapter 1. You don't need to turn there unless you want real quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Paul wrote these words to Timothy at a difficult time in his life and ministry. You see, 1 Timothy was written when the church was growing and thriving and everything was wonderful. But all of a sudden, persecution hits the church. They're killing Christians. How many of you know when they start killing Christians, it gets the pastor's attention? How many of you know when they start killing pastors, it gets the church's attention? Okay? Works both ways. Persecution hits the church, and, and all of a sudden, people are jumping ship. This great, thriving, large church is getting smaller by the day, and people are running away in fear. In the middle of it, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says these words, God has not given us the spirit of fear. A spirit of fear refers to a fear that overwhelms us, a fear that comes in and begins to dominate every area of our lives. You see, Fear is like cancer. It starts in a cell and then it invades the next cell and the next cell and the next cell and the next cell. And if we allow it to lay there, it won't be dormant. It will just keep devouring and devouring and devouring. That's the nature of fear. Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us this spirit of fear that is engulfing so many people. In other words, when there is fear all around you, you need to understand it didn't come from God. So it must have come from somewhere else. We're going to look at that in just a moment. In the exact wording here, if you go into the original writings, what Paul said to Timothy was, God has not given us the spirit of timidity. It's not the same word for fear used in other places. But he said, as far as preaching the gospel and doing the work of God, don't be timid about it because God has given us power, his power, love, his love, and sound mind, clear thinking to understand how to deal with these situations. And as believers, we need to learn these principles of receiving God's peace and then enforcing God's peace in our lives. So let's dive into it today. Look at Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to read the story. We're just going to look at verse number 10. Genesis 3, verse number 10. Number one, so much fear in the earth. Where does it all come from? What's the root of all this fear? A lot of people, even in the church, don't understand the nature of fear. You see, fear is expecting something that hasn't happened. It's the opposite of faith. It's faith, rather than believing something good will happen, it's faith believing something bad is going to happen. And it's something we embrace. It's something we give room to. Genesis chapter 3, we all know the story. Let me just run through it and then I'll get down to verse 10. God created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden, and they had this beautiful place of peace. It's just Adam and Eve and God. God comes down in the cool of the day and hangs out with them, walks through the garden, talks about stuff. I mean, it's just an amazing place of peace. But God told them, don't eat of this one tree, because the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. What he actually said in the original writings, the day you partake of this tree, you will die, die, a double death. You will die spiritually, but you'll also begin to die physically. You see, that's why a lot of people don't realize this. One of the reasons we struggle so much with death is because God created us originally to live forever. It's contrary to how God created us. But yet sin brings death our way. Sin separates us 
from God. So Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree, and when that happens, immediately they experience a spiritual death. They are separated from God, and then aging sets in on their bodies, and they begin to walk towards a natural death. Spiritual death, natural death, die, die. Now, out of this, some things start to happen. God comes down to the garden. Adam and Eve have sinned, and God begins to call out to them. And God says, Adam, where are you? How many of you know when God asks questions, he's not really looking for information? Have you ever tried to play hide-and-go-seek with God? Have you found that place where he can't find you yet, and you run back to the home base and get, get home free? No, God knows. God asks the question, Adam, where are you? He's trying to get Adam to look at his own condition. Here's what happens. Look at verse number 10, Genesis 3. And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, why am I getting in this today? Why am I going back to this? This is the first record of fear we have in Scripture. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God and this is the beginning of mankind, if this is the story of how it all started, going back to Adam and Eve, the first time there was ever fear in the earth came on the heels of sin which separated man from God who was spiritually dead. And all of a sudden, Adam is afraid of God because he's rebelled against God. For the first time in his life, he's separated from the presence of God. He knows something's wrong. And for the first time, he realizes, I am naked. It's interesting. If you read on further, God asked Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Adam knew. He wasn't talking about a physical nakedness. It wasn't about not having fig leaves on his body. It wasn't about that. It was about the fact that he was uncovered. He was exposed. His humanity was obvious. The weakness of his fallen flesh was right there. And he knew he was no match for God. And he was no match for the enemy who was trying to destroy him. He knew it. He was exposed. He was naked and uncovered. And he was afraid. Fear comes, first of all. Fear begins because we're afraid of God. We're separated from God. So here's, here's, the, here's the picture. Going back to the beginning, every next generation that's ever born is born of sinful nature we're born into a world where sin and separation from God is all around us. So instead of having the peace of God everywhere, we have fear everywhere because people are separated from God and they don't know the blessings of God. And that's the root of our fear. We believe that what nature and what Satan and what the consequences of life and our failures can put upon us, we believe that's greater than the promises of God. And as a result, we live in fear not knowing what each next moment is going to hold for us. Sin and separation from God causes us to fear God and the consequences of our sin. Separation from God also separates us from God's life and His blessings and His protection. And so as the psyche of man works, as our thought process goes, as our brains work, 
When we're separated from God, we begin to anticipate the opposite of God's blessing and God's life and God's provision. And because we see ourselves as naked and exposed, all we can see is what we get for ourselves and what we can do for ourselves, and we fail to expect God to fill in all the gaps and cover all the bases we can't cover ourselves. We begin to live in fear rather than trusting God. Psalms 53 is an interesting verse. I'll give you a moment to turn there. In Psalms 53, the first part of that psalm especially, David is contrasting the lifestyle of the godly with the lifestyle of the ungodly. He's talking about how they perceive situations and how their lives go. The godly and the ungodly, the righteous and the unrighteous. And so David starts talking about how God looks upon the ungodly and how the ungodly look back at God. And here's what he says about the ungodly. Those who are separated from God. Listen to this. Psalms 53, 5. The psalmist says, there they are, the ungodly, those separated from God. There they are in great fear where no fear was. You see, when we're separated from God... We live in fear even when there's no reason to be afraid. Because we only see life through our own limited abilities and strength. We see the world in eternity through our humanity. And as the result of the weakness of our humanity, we live in fear where no fear was. It goes on to say, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You've put them to shame because God has despised them. He said, people live in fear because they're separated from God. But... If you're not separated from God, you can stand in strength. You can stand in peace. You can know that God will defend you and God will protect you from the onslaught of your enemies. And you can live in God's peace. You know, too many of us, I think even in the church world, we're living in fear when there's nothing to fear. There's no reason to be afraid. We still believe we're naked, we're exposed, we're powerless, and we're unprotected when in reality God is fighting our battles for us and he simply wants us to trust him. Can I get three bobbleheads in the house this morning? Amen. God is fighting for us and he wants us to learn to trust him. Let me give you another contrast of the wicked and the righteous Proverbs 28, 1, Solomon said, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. God wants us to live with boldness. God wants us to live in strength and in peace, knowing that he'll cover the bases we ourselves cannot cover. He wants us to live in peace. Not only that, sin and separation from God exposes our nakedness, our weakness, our human inability to deal with Satan in our own strength. You know what? In your strength, you're no match for the devil. But in the strength of God, when you're wearing the armor of God, when you know who you are in Christ and what is rightfully yours, the devil is no match for you. But if you're not living in that place, your prey to the enemy. 1 Peter 5 and 8, here's what Peter said. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion 
seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour just anybody. The only people he can devour are the ones who will bow to him who are afraid of him. So we need to be sober, be vigilant. The second thing, number one, there's so much fear. Where did it come from? It, It comes because of sin and separation from God and his blessing. A lot of us are raised in that atmosphere, and it's hard for us to turn loose of the old way and learn to think the new way. Can I explain something to you? People say, what's the key to Christianity? The key to Christianity is getting it from here down to here. Not just having head knowledge, but getting it down here where you're so convinced of it that you just walk with God, you handle your part, and you let God handle his part. That's the key to a successful Christian life. we got to get it from here down to here. But but number two, in the middle of all this fear, God has promised so much peace. You know, when the Bible speaks of God's peace, it refers to personal welfare. Personal welfare. When God says, I'll give you peace, that word peace means personal welfare, your well-being, every area of life. It's talking about the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. God will protect you. God will see over all that concerns you. And so when God says, I want to give you peace, God says, I want to watch over every area of your life. Would you let me? Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you would think, hey, I'd kind of like God to watch over every area of my life. Let me see your hands. How many are in on that one? Well, he already is. So why don't you just trust him with it and quit worrying about things? That's what God's peace is. It's his blessing over the welfare of every area of your life, body, soul, and spirit. But here's the problem. In English, we define peace as the absence of conflict. In the English language, if you go to the dictionary, look up the word peace, almost every dictionary says peace. It's the absence of conflict. That's not scriptural peace. Jesus said, in this world, you will have conflict, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. See, God's peace is different. God says, no matter what conflicts might be there, no matter what traps and snares the enemy sets, I'm watching over you, I'm going to protect you, it's going to end up good, not bad. I've got a good plan for your life, just trust me and keep walking with me. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But we struggle with that. Because we think peace is the absence of conflict. Remember last Sunday, Pastor Corey was talking about Peter getting out of the boat in the storm and walking across the water to Jesus. You know, there's two major boat stories with the disciples and Jesus in the middle of storms. Both times, you know, Jesus just says peace and it all settles down. And then he he went back to the disciples and said, why isn't your faith long lasting? Why don't you have real faith, strong faith? Why don't you trust me even in the middle of a storm? Friend, let me tell you something. Some of you here today are in the middle of a storm and you're saying, what in the world is going on? It doesn't matter what's going on. Just trust God and believe his promises. If Jesus is in the boat, the boat is not going to sink. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this storm. You can have peace in the middle of that storm. See, that's why Jesus said in John 14, 27, and I I want you to notice this. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Notice, peace I leave, no, 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 my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
See, Jesus was saying, the world thinks peace means no storms. I'm telling you that even in the biggest storm, it's all going to be okay. and You're going to sail right through it. Just stay in the boat and trust me. And then he goes on to say, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Can I tell you the secret to living in peace? Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. See, I'll get into this in the second part of this message. Not today. We determine whether we want peace or whether we want fear. We embrace one and we push the other away. Which one will you embrace? I'm, I'm going for peace. You can have fear if you want it. I'm going for peace. Because here's the thing. The promises of God outweigh the threats of the devil. See, Jesus said it in John 10, 10. The thief comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. What do people worry about? Things being stolen, things being taken away from us, things being destroyed, relationships being destroyed, health being destroyed, and eventually, oh, I'm going to die of this thing. Jesus said all of those things are the work of the devil. And if you're trusting God and believing God, you're not going to worry about those things because God's going to cover you and take care of those things. Some of you all need to smile at me this morning, okay? God's got you covered. So we need to trust him. But Jesus said, that's what the enemy's come to do, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. However good today is, tomorrow's going to be better, and the next day's going to be better, and the next day's going to be better. There may be challenges, there may be assaults from the enemy, but you're going to overcome it, and each day keeps growing because I've come to give you supernatural abundant life. And with that life comes peace. That's the promise of Jesus. I want to live in that. Don't you? I want to live in that. I don't want to live in the fear. I want to live in the peace of God. And, you know, as, as you study God's word, the expression fear not or don't be afraid or, or, or a, a statement like that, I mean, it's like close to 400 times you find that in Scripture. It's almost like God saying, look, for every day of the year, whatever it is you're dealing with, I've got peace for you, so don't be afraid of things. Don't run off in that direction. Good things are going to happen to you. Just trust me and believe me and let me put my peace in your heart. That's the plan of God. Let me give you one example of this before I move to my last point. In Isaiah 43, again, you don't have to turn there, but in the first three verses, God made this amazing promise to Israel. And it kind of covers a lot of stuff. He says, fear not, for I've redeemed you. What he said was, I paid the price for you. You belong to me. I've called you by your name. I know who you are individually, personally. You are mine he goes on to say this when you pass through the waters i'll be with you and through the rivers they shall not overflow you when you walk through the fire you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you because i am the lord your god the holy one of israel your savior see what god said was i'm not only god i'm going to save you i'm going to save you i'm going to friend let me tell you something God's going to save you. Trust him. Trust him. Believe him. Live in peace. He will save you. Several years ago, oh, probably late 70s, maybe early to mid 80s, during what we refer to now as the charismatic renewal, the charismatic movement in America, 
there was an expression that was spread through the church and then through word of faith circles you heard it a lot too and the expression was you need to know who you are in Christ see a lot of you've heard that expression you need to know who you are in Christ all that means is you need to know the promises of God and what belongs to you man we were singing the song this morning about I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I, I, I told first service, man, two weeks from today, when I get down to the conclusion of this message and this series, and we're going to sing that song again, I am who you say I am. I receive what you said I can receive. I will have what you said I can have. I'm going to agree with God. I don't care what the devil says and all of his lies. I'm going to believe God. We need to know what's rightfully ours. We're going to dig into that in the next couple of weeks. But then third of all, he said there's so much fear and yet God has promised so much peace. Third thing, where does all this peace come from? We know where fear comes from. It comes from sin and separation from God. That's the root of all of it. And we have to learn how to walk out of that and trust the promises of God. But number three, look at Colossians chapter 1. Today we're looking at a lot more scripture than we normally do because I need to teach you through these things to lay a foundation for what God wants to do, not just today, but the next two or three weeks. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 19. Paul says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him, by Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, by Christ, whether things on earth, or things in heaven, now notice what he says, having made what? Peace. Having made? Peace. One more time, having made? Peace. How? Through the blood of his cross. You hear me say this from time to time, and I will never stop going back to it because it's fundamental to a healthy Christian life. Peace begins when you can stand in the presence of God and have no fear of your past. Peace begins when you can stand in the presence of God and feel no condemnation for your sin. That's where peace begins. The root of all other fear comes out of not having that settled. But what Paul said was Jesus made peace. Jesus purchased our peace peace comes from the cross peace comes from the cross we'll say it one more time peace comes from the cross you'll never have real true god-given supernatural peace until you go to the cross and once you go to the cross the first thing that happens is he settles your past and you're not afraid of god you're not afraid to stand in his presence you know you're his child and once you arrive at that place fear is driven out of your life peace begins when you're not afraid of god then isaiah 53 if you can turn there real quickly isaiah 53 verse 5 i use this scripture a lot Isaiah looked forward to the cross prophetically, and he, said, he, he wrote these words. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's our rebellions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's our fallen nature, the bent we have towards certain sin. Then it says the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Now, let me walk you through this. What is it that separates us from God? 
our transgressions, our rebellions, second line, our iniquities, our fallen nature that causes us to fall into certain sin, those are the things that moved us away from God. But then the payment, the punishment for our peace, everybody say our peace. The punishment that you and I might have, the payment for all the things we did that took away the peace of God, the chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus. When he hung up on the cross, God punished Jesus for our sins, for our transgressions, for our iniquities, that our past could be pulled away from us, washed away, and God could say, I don't remember it anymore because of the blood of my son. Go in peace. We're in good standing. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And it gives us the right to not fear God. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we are healed. All of that comes from the cross. And once you go to the cross, you have to understand, God has got you. Jesus paid for your peace. Some of you are trying to pay for your own peace. Some of you are going to this counselor and that counselor and trying to find peace here and trying to find peace there. And maybe if I fold my legs and sit on the floor long enough in the right position, I'll have peace. Let me tell you something. Until you grow to the cross, you're never going to have real peace. Not, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Some of the way, are you making fun of me? No, I'm not. But you're going to hurt your joints if you're not careful. <laughs> Jesus paid for your peace. You don't have to pay for it. In Hebrews chapter 2, man, I love this passage of Scripture. Hebrews 2, verse 14, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he's talking about us, how many of you have partaken in flesh and blood? What's that mean? Is anybody here flesh and blood? Do you live in flesh and blood bodies? Some of us? We've partaken of flesh and blood. We're in flesh and blood bodies. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same. He was God made manifest in the flesh, living a flesh and blood body like us, that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. What it's telling us is on the cross, we read Isaiah 53, we also read from Colossians 2. On the cross, when Jesus died for our sins to bring us into relationship with God, he destroyed the grip of death that Satan had upon us. He destroyed him who had the power of death, the devil. In verse 15, and release those, get this, release those, everybody say release. Release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now let me explain this. this. This is really simple. All their lifetimes they live in bondage because they were afraid of dying. When you have a relationship with God, when you get the word from here down to here and you understand who we are in Christ, one of the things that happens is the fear of death leaves. You say, well, what do you mean? The fear of what lies beyond death is taken away. See, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. See, every Christian has got to settle this in their own hearts, 
not just their minds, in their hearts. We have to settle this and embrace this, that when this life is over, I go to a better place. It's not second best, it's better. Some of you think, well, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I don't want to sit around a cloud and strum a harp all day. I'm not into that. That's not what we're going to do forever. We're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. He's got plans throughout eternity, which is a thousand lifetimes, and then we're just getting started. It's endless. But if you don't settle that issue, if you don't get your heart around that, well, you ready? you're in a hurry to go? No, I'm not in a hurry to go. I plan on living a while. For me to live is Christ. As long as God wants me here doing stuff, I'll be here. You know, when the young guys push me out and say there's no place for you, then I'll be ready to go. But right now there's a place for me, okay? To live is Christ. To die is gained. It's better. The problem is if you don't settle eternity in your heart, you will live in fear all of your life of all the things that can take you into eternity. That's good. I remember my, my dad, the night before he passed away, I was in a room with him at the hospital and the doctor walked in and looked at all the tests and just told him, he said, Mr. Martin, your heart is just giving out. It's, it's wore out. You know, I told you, Father's Day, my dad did the beaches in France on D-Day. That's enough to wear out anybody's heart. He, he did that and survived it. And, uh, you know, all of his life he had nightmares about war. And it, it gets to the end of his life and his heart's just exhausted. And he's in his 80s. His heart's just wore out. The doctor said, you know, your heart's wore out and, you know, you, you probably won't live more than six weeks. And he told him some things he could do and then he left the room and I stood there started crying. And I'm just weeping saying, Dad, I don't want you to go. My dad looks at me and, you know, my dad wasn't a super spiritual guy, but he had an encounter with God that changed his heart. My dad looked at me and said, well, son, everybody's got to die someday. What do, you, what do you get so worried about? My mom was already on the other side. His parents were on the other side. A lot of family and friends are over there. And my dad had the realization, you know what? If God's finished with me here, it's going to be better there than it is here. So don't worry about dying. It's going to be okay. I told you, I'm in no hurry to go. But friends, I'm going to tell you, it's better there than it is here. And if you're not afraid of dying, then you're not going to be afraid of anything else that can get you there. Don't fear death. If you do, you're going to live in bondage all the days of your life. And finally, last scripture, Romans chapter 5. I'm almost finished. You know what it, you know what it means when the pastor says, I'm almost finished? <laughs> Nothing. <clears throat> I'm kidding. Romans 5. Romans 5, look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Okay, how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. God extends forgiveness. By faith, we reach up and take it. We grasp it. We embrace it. And then we are justified, which means in the sight of God, it's just as if we never sinned. Conscience is cleared. All of our past is gone. Having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it's what I talked about earlier. Now look at the next verse. Through whom, through Jesus, also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay? God wipes away my sin. He forgives me of all of that. All of a sudden, this supernatural peace comes into my heart because I'm not afraid of God. I'm not, not afraid of eternity. And this supernatural peace is there. And it says, now that you've accessed this, 
by faith, you can stand in a grace where you don't have to be afraid of anything else. Wow. I want to learn to stand in that faith. I want to learn how to live there. Talked about God's peace in Isaiah chapter 9. You know, Isaiah had a glimpse of Jesus in Isaiah 9. He's writing about the nature of his kingdom. And in verse 7, I think it is, Isaiah makes this statement of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. So as my challenges get bigger, his peace gets bigger. So much peace if I will just stand in that grace and in that peace. In closing today, can I tell you, God has given us the right to live in peace. You, me, if your faith is in Jesus, God has given us the right, the privilege, the honor, the authority to live in peace. Next time I teach, I'm going to be sharing about how we do that. But in closing today, I want to tell you a quick story. When I was 19 years old, I really made a complete commitment in my life to Jesus. You know, I was one of those kids raised in church, involved in church. I was a pretty good kid. You know, I was kind of like Pastor Aaron, but I was, I was a little, little taller and a little better looking. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's the self-righteousness I was raised in right there. But here's my point. I, I was a good kid, but as every young adult, you have to find your own faith and find your way. Now, I never got into trouble. I never got into anything with the police, never got into illegal stuff. But you know what? Confession's good for the soul. I sinned a couple of times. Does that surprise anybody in the building? Why am I telling you this? It's not what I did. If I to, I'm not going to tell you what I did. If I told you something that happened to me two or three times, you would think, eh, big deal. But for a 19-year-old who lived the way I lived, who was raised the way I was raised, it was a big deal. And this thing in my conscience just kept gnawing at me. And it separated me from God because I knew I'd made some ugly mistakes. One night in the middle of the night, I woke up in a dark room and there was something in the room with me. 19 years old. Something in the room with me. And it didn't speak a word, but without saying a word, it said, I've got you. I've possessed you. You are a phony. You are not going to do anything for God. You are a hypocrite. You are bound to me forever. You have lost your way. I didn't have anybody to talk to about what I was going through. Couldn't talk to my family, couldn't talk to my pastor, couldn't talk to anybody at church because I'd done some stupid stuff and they'd, they'd have thought horribly of me. It happened again. And again and again, and I was so bowed by fear. And I told everybody, I'm going into the ministry. But this thing kept telling me every night, you're not going to the ministry. You're a phony. I've, I've got you. This is your lot. You sinned. I've got you. 
One Sunday evening we had church and at the end of the service we're all standing around the front of the, ser- the, front of the building worshiping and praying. And my pastor looked down at me and just said, Gary, I want to pray for you. I thought, oh, Jesus, did you tell him? <laughs> Listen to me and he said, the devil has been lying to you. And, and by the way, read scripture. Only thing we know about the level, devil is he's a liar and he's a deceiver. When he opens his mouth, it's never the truth. It's just not. It may be half truth, but it's never the truth. He said, the devil is a liar, and he's been telling you that you have no future, that your mistakes have tied you to the past, that he's got you. And he said, I'm here to tell you that God's going to set you free tonight, and you're never going to have to be bound by that again. And and I, I think he knew something because of what he'd been through in his lifetime. But he walked down the steps, just reached out and laid his hand on me and prayed a simple prayer. That night I went home and for the first time in months, I slept like a baby. No visitations from the enemy. And I'll talk more about that when I finish this message. But he took the authority that was vested in him and he broke the grip of the spirit of fear on my life. And I've learned that I don't have to live in fear of anything anymore. Now, Closing today, some of you here have had visitations in the night. Some of you are tormented about things that you have no reason to be afraid of. God wants to, number one, set you free from that spirit of fear. And then we're going to show you from God's word how to maintain that peace in your life. We'll do that in another session. But I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask everybody here, bow your heads and close your eyes. I know we're three minutes late, but please forgive me. This is God's business. It's really important. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's moving unless you absolutely have to. Here's what I want to do. As a sign of your faith, if I've been talking to you today, here's what I want you to do. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just look up at me, make contact, and then just put your head right back down. Close your eyes, okay? One, two, three. Okay. Okay. All over the building let me pray for you right now I have the authority to do this in the name of Jesus I come against the spirit of fear that it's trying to engulf lives and torment the people of God Satan you have no authority here you have no right to torment these people you are a liar you are a defeated foe and I break the spirit of fear off of people's lives now in the name of Jesus I command the torment to stop now in the name of Jesus Spirit of fear, be broken. Spirit of torment, be gone in the name of Jesus. Do not come back with your lies. We will not make room for you. We will not believe you. We will not receive you. We are the children of God, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The spirit of fear is gone in Jesus' name. Now let's just give God praise for a moment. Father, we praise you. Father, we praise you today. We praise you, Father. Spirit of fear is broken. It's gone. It's gone. There's peace in this house. While heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, some of you here would say, I don't know the peace of God because I've never been to the cross. I've never put my faith in Jesus. But you've heard this message today and you realize deep down inside there's an emptiness and you need God in your life. Let me just tell you, God loves you so much. He put his own son on the cross to pay for your past, to bring you into relationship with God 
put you in a place where you can know his peace forever, but you have to receive it. He extends forgiveness. He extends life and blessing, but you have to receive it and say, yes, God, I believe and I'm in. So I want to lead you in a prayer right now that'll help you do just that. That's how we do this. We just open our mouths and say, God, I believe I'm in. So I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody in the house, pray this prayer with me today, right now. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I need you. I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus. He's the Son of God. He died for my sins. was raised from the dead. I put my faith in Jesus. And I will learn to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I will learn your ways. And I will follow you. From this day forward, you are my Father. I'm your child. Thank you for receiving me.